Have you placed yourself under the absolute authority of the scripture? The question today is about Jesus. If he's God, and if he's the exclusive way to the Father, do you know him? Have you yielded your life to him? Have you accepted his forgiveness? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Beyond the words of the Bible, a simple study of the changed lives of those who knew Christ personally and even died because of their faith gives us great insights into who Jesus really is. Today, David continues our Sleuth series with the second part of a message called, Is Jesus the Only Way? Why did Jesus receive worship? Over and over again throughout the Bible, when people worshiped him, he received it. For example, Thomas, after he realized Jesus was raised from the dead, started worshiping him, and Jesus received that worship. He did not rebuke Thomas and say, don't worship me, I'm a mere man. He received that worship because he knew he was God. Also, what about the forgiveness of sins? Jesus forgave sins over and over again. In John 20, verse 23, he forgave the disciples' sins. He breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. Only God can forgive sins. You know, I can forgive you for something you did to hurt me, but I can't forgive ultimately how you've hurt God. Only God can do that, and Jesus forgave all of our sins. And finally, why does the church exist today even? Romans 8, 11 says, the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Why does the church even exist today unless people saw originally the resurrection of Jesus and believed it even to the point of death, preached that message, other people then had the Holy Spirit live inside of them, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that's been passed on for 2,000 years. You look back and you see Nero in all of his splendor, in all of his power, and you would think, what would exist 2,000 years forward out? Probably Nero because he has so much pomp and power, yet here we are 2,000 years away from Nero, and we name our dogs Nero. We have a little Caesar's pizza, but Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ is in every corner of every part of the world. The church of Jesus Christ lives today because of the resurrection of the living Lord Jesus Christ. So what breaks the circle? Jesus is God. How do you know Jesus is God? Because the Bible says so. How do you know the Bible is true? Because Jesus says so. Well, who's Jesus? He's God. What breaks that circular argument? The resurrection. It proves that Jesus is God. Now, if Jesus is God, then we must come to grips with what he claimed about exclusivity. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. An extraordinary claim that Jesus is the only path to the Father. There are many other places throughout the gospel accounts he says similar things, but this is the most poignant one. He's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He claims exclusivity that no one comes to the Father except through him. And the argument is this simple, folks. You have two ways of getting to God. Either we can work our ways through our efforts, through our hard works, by our own righteousness, and ultimately receive God's perfection, or it has to be done for us through Jesus, by grace, through faith. Him, him knowing that we cannot, the efforts can never get us to heaven. It's impossible because we are laden with this disease called sin, called selfishness, and we'll never be able to do enough for God to love us. So there are two worlds of religions, either do 
or done. It's one or the other. And Jesus said, there's never enough you can do because of your sin problem to earn God's perfect righteousness. It has to be done for you. And that's what Jesus did for us. He came from heaven, taking on human flesh and lived the life we can never live for ourselves and went to the cross and took all of our sins upon himself, something he didn't deserve, and then gives us the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life by grace through faith, something he didn't deserve, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the only way you can get to the Father because I'm the only one who died for your sins and was raised from the dead to prove that what I did was accurate. You can't keep a good God down. Jesus had to be raised from the dead because perfect love means sin had been conquered and now Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in the early church, believe this exclusivity. Look at Acts 4.12. From the words of uh, Luke and also the words of Peter, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The early church believed in the exclusivity of Jesus and preached it, Acts 4.12 being the place where we see it best. Now, immediately at this point, there, there are people who raise objections. Uh, that high priestess of American spirituality, Oprah Winfrey, said this, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many different paths heading to what you call God. And my response to this is, really? How do you know, Oprah? Are you God? How do you know? The biggest objection to Christianity among many of the people with whom I speak today is this whole idea of exclusivity. And there are two reasons they find it objectionable. First of all, they say you Christians who believe in Jesus' exclusivity are arrogant. Secondly, they say, and because of that, you have come together in your own communities and you have performed abuse and violence against others. And believe me, it's not just against Christianity that the spiritual skeptic says this. You who are skeptics also say, and look at the Hindu faith. In India, for example, 83% Hindu, only 12% Muslim. You persecute the Muslims, you Hindus, and you also persecute the Christians. So when you get together with your religious beliefs and you believe your religion is exclusive as Muslims believe their religion is exclusive, you start persecuting other people. And then obviously the Islamic faith, you come together in your communities, you think you have exclusivity, and you start persecuting other people, i.e. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, and all the other evils that are out there that are forcing people into conversions. And sadly, in church history, there are some examples of Christians trying to force people to believe, especially Jews back in the medieval ages. So skeptics, particularly informed skeptics, object to exclusivity because of arrogance and secondly because of the wars and violence and abuse that have been performed by those who believe in religious exclusivity. Let me make just a couple of statements in response to those two objections. First of all, is Christianity arrogant? Well, yes, if Christ, if Christians had come up with the idea Yes, Christianity is arrogant if Christians had come up with the idea, but Christians didn't come up with the idea. Jesus came up with the idea. And exclusivity simply repeats what Jesus said about himself. 
So therefore, if you have objections to Jesus' claims of exclusivity, really, you need to go talk to the source of those exclusive claims, Jesus himself. Which leads also to an understanding of the particular arguments that skeptics give against Christians when they claim that kind of exclusive argument from the lips of Jesus. First of all, they use an ad hominem argument. What's an ad hominem argument? That's basically when you make the person the problem and not the problem. Uh, some of us who've been married long enough know that we do that to our spouses. We're in the middle of an argument. I know sometimes when Marilyn and I are having a tiff between ourselves that we'll sometimes make each other the problem instead of the real problem. And, and that's what skeptics sometimes do. The Christian's not the problem. The Christians who forced Jews into conversion back in the medieval ages, it's not the problem. They wrongly interpreted what their teacher said to do. Jesus is the real problem. What again will you who are skeptics do with Jesus' words where he claimed to be exclusive? Secondly, um, it's just because something is sincerely held doesn't then by de facto make the person who believes it arrogant. I mean, there are people who sincerely believe in UFOs. That doesn't make them arrogant. Just because a Christian sincerely believes in exclusivity doesn't necessarily mean they're arrogant. And thirdly, those of you who are pluralists, who believe there's one God but many different roads to get to God, like Oprah, here's what I'd ask you. Doesn't it seem like pluralists are equally arrogant because they believe pluralism is exclusive? Those of you who believe there are many ways to the Father, aren't you in a very real way exclusive? You're saying that I'm excluded from your belief system because I believe in the exclusivity of Jesus. We need to call the pluralists out with their own argument. If they claim that we're exclusive, we must claim in return that you pluralists are equally exclusive because you'll not include our thought process in yours. Concerning abuse. We really need to own up to that as Christians. It did happen in the medieval ages, but not as great as some people would like to think. And much of the Crusades, you need to remember, was fought against Islamic aggression that had taken over almost half of Europe, and Charles Martel, the mayor of Tours, France, Charles the Hammer, as he's nicknamed, formed an army that pushed the Islamic aggressors out of Europe. Certainly there are things that we're not proud of as Christians. I personally would ask the question, were they really Christians? I can't see Jesus doing those kind of things. But nevertheless, a lot of the Crusades was against Islamic aggression in Western Europe. Nevertheless, with all of that having been said, owning up to some of the abuse of radical Christianities, here's what I would ask. Radical fundamentalism causes problems of violence. Christians, Hindus, and Muslims who are radical in their faith cause violence. Now, here's the question I'd ask in return. Which fundamentals? Which fundamentals? For those of us who are true Christians, we believe in a man who died and was raised again for his enemies. And while he was on the cross dying for his enemies, he prayed for forgiveness for them. And he told his followers for all the years, decades, centuries to come to practice his example to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. And his life lived rightly in and through his followers is a life of generosity and peacekeeping, 
which historically has led to, for example, the abolition of slavery in Western civilization, caring for the poor, elevating women and their rights to new positions of status, stopping infanticide, the silly killing of children, especially girl babies, caring for the sick and the dying, celebrating the need for education in every young person's life, and many other social reforms. Let me ask this question. How does following these fundamentals cause violence? The question is not radical fundamentalism causing violence. The question is, which fundamentals are the people following? For followers of Jesus, the fundamental of loving our neighbors and forgiving those who've hurt us are absolutely key. Or let me ask it another way. Have you ever met a jihadist Amish? Have you ever met a jihadist Amish? Of course not. Why? Because the Amish hold tenaciously to the principles and fundamentals of Jesus' right life, living together in community. And even when a gunman comes down, as we saw some years ago in Pennsylvania, and kills dozens of school children, the Amish community comes together and goes to the one who perpetrated the crime. And the first thing they say is, we forgive you. We forgive you. Because the Amish hold tenaciously to the right fundamentals. You can be a radical fundamentalist. It just depends on which fundamentals are your most important in life. You see, the real offense and the real concern of those of you who are skeptics about the exclusivity of Jesus is really the eternal destination of those outside your particular religion. That that's what really bothers you, which really is next week's message on the reality of hell, something Jesus taught, that I encourage all of you to come back and allow us to dialogue together about what the Bible teaches regarding hell. Which leads me, folks, to my final echo. My final echo. I began the message by saying, aren't there echoes all around us in the world, echoes that suggest that there is a God, that suggest there's eternal truth, that suggest God wants us to live by those eternal truths. And here is the final echo I'd like to give to you today. It's found in John, the 11th chapter, verse 25. John 11, 25 says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Deep within, folks, isn't there an echo that you're loved by a person? The uniqueness of the Christian faith, other than any other world's religion, is we believe God is a person revealed through Jesus Christ, and that when you invite him into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes within you. Jesus himself comes within you, and he tells you how much he loves you, how valuable you are to him, how much he cares for you, how he'll never leave you or forsake you, that your identity is now found not in a bottle, not in drugs, not in a relationship with somebody else, not in your job or 
performance. Your identity is now found in the fact that you are loved by a person who was raised from the dead, and that very power that raised him from the dead now lives within you. There's an echo of the heart that yearns to be loved by a person, and the Christian faith says that person loves you. His name is Jesus, and through the resurrection and his exclusive desire to love you will now come into your heart and do so. And folks, isn't there also an echo deep within that there's an eternity, that there's something beyond this world, there's something yet to come? Isn't there an echo within us that believes that this world can't be all that there is with all of its sin and selfishness and violence and ugliness? Surely there's a place of eternal beauty where none of that exists, and that place not only exists, it's a place where my loved ones who've gone on before me, who love Jesus, are there, and I'll be with them again. I'll see them again and spend eternity with them because love is so powerful. It can't just stop at the moment of death on this earth. It's got to continue. Doesn't that echo deep within you? Doesn't that echo resonate within you? It certainly should, and that's why Jesus said, I am Yahweh, the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. Death's not the end. There's life even after this one. Last week after I challenged you on the reliability of the Scripture, I said there are two options, folks. Either you sit over the Scripture and try to judge it, or the scripture sits over you and it judges you, which is you. Have you placed yourself under the absolute authority of the scripture? The question today is about Jesus. If he's God, and if he's the exclusive way to the Father, do you know him? Have you yielded your life to him? Have you accepted his forgiveness? Or are you still trying to earn his favor with your works? Do or done? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If so, then no longer do you look at Jesus trying to figure him out, trying to explain him away. He's just a moral philosopher, just a good teacher. No, you let Jesus stand over you as your judge, as your friend, as your life's companion, as your daddy who loves you deeply. But you let him judge your life and you then adjust your life to his fundamentals and live totally and completely for him. Is this you? If not... Why not? You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with insights on fixing our eyes on the kingdom of light. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community 
who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure being with you, Jen. Thank you. Well, you called this morning's moment of hope, where you stare, beware. Now, this sounds like a Davidism that all of us can benefit from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jen, it's something I believe deeply in, that you are what you think. It is that simple. Whatever you fix your mind on, that is what you'll ultimately believe and then become. And if you stare at something, gaze upon it repeatedly, you will eventually become that. And if it's something bad, you need to beware of that problem. If you stare, beware Mm. of where that may take your mind. Paul said in Romans 12, 2, that be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's interesting. A lot of Christians think that Christianity is just about absorbing more information. Mm -hmm. And that's not unimportant. I think it's so important that we realize and understand the power of God's Word. But, you know, information without life's transformation is greatly inadequate. So I exhort all listening today to be aware of where your mind is focused. Be aware of what you're reading, of what you're watching on television, what you're absorbing through social media. Be aware of all of that information that if you keep taking it in and you're staring on it, beware, because it can lead your mind to some dark places. This reminds me actually of when I was um, in labor with my first child and I did not have medicine. I guess you could call me a hippie in that regard, <laughs> but I was in such despair and it was in that moment of transition, which they say is the worst upon worst. And I just remember thinking, I don't even care anymore. Just get this thing out of me. Like, I'm so desperate and so (laughs) much pain. And Chris didn't know where my mind was going. It was really dark. It was really dark. And he just started reading out the verse, think on things that are lovely, that are truthful, that are noble. And he had no idea the war that was going on. And it shifted immediately. And I was able to thank the Lord and, and literally push through. <laughs> that, that's Philippians 4, eight. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible about the power of your mind. Mm-hmm. And Chris couldn't have read you a better verse. And as you focused on what is true and lovely and good and honorable, etc., you become what your thoughts are. Yeah. You start to have hope. Instead yeah. of despair, you start to be more than a conqueror through Jesus. Also, Paul said in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. So if we are heavenly citizens, we have our minds focused on heaven and looking at life from God's perspective. And, you know, it's interesting as you take off with an airplane and you get to 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, then to the 10,000 feet, the higher you get as you look out the window, the smaller down mm. below things become. And I believe the same thing. If you keep your mind focused on God's perspective, looking down on your problems from his insights, your problems then become smaller because Jesus is in control over them all from that 10,000-foot altitude. I love that so much, and that that fuels prayer life. I think when we have that kingdom mindset and we look down at the circumstances, I think we can pray with uh, more effectively. Yeah, more effectively and with more power. Mm-hmm. I really believe that because we're staring down upon the problems from God's perspective, 
perspective and not being overcome by the problems from our perspective. So again, listeners, where you stare, beware, whatever you fix your mind on, you'll eventually become. Make sure you're fixing your mind on God's word, his truth, and things that are above. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you, listeners, for joining me. If you'd like to receive a daily written Moment of Hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours every morning, giving you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.